uh, is happening in in me. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna remember you, Silver Lady. So yeah. don't you worry. You'll find her. You'll find <laughs> her someday. Hands off that dial. Business is about to get a whole lot nerdier. You're tuned in to Founder Quest. Somebody tweeted a while back and, and somebody referenced us and said that we should talk about this. You know, you should run your company like you're going to sell it. So then I thought, well, maybe we could talk about sort of acquisitions in general, maybe weave it back and forth. So Honey Badger has had a couple of fairly serious acquisition talks, um, none ongoing right now, um, none that panned out, obviously. We're not going to name names because I think it might be illegal for us to because we signed stuff. The first one um, was with a private equity firm that specialized in sort of smaller companies um, and taking these companies built by developers and then bringing in business people and, and figuring out how to grow them. And then we had a, another... Um, acquisition talk with a pretty well-known um, company in the developer space. And that would have been more of a, uh, it would have been kind of a strategic thing because they were kind of trying to bring something to market that was very similar to what we did. And sort of both of those eventually fell through because we just couldn't really come to terms. But I think we learned a lot while we were pursuing these because starting out, like I knew about acquisitions, like what pretty much I, I imagine anybody knows about acquisition is, is like, okay, you sell a company, you make a ton of money and that's like your happy ending. But it's really a lot more complex than that. It's really a lot like unless you happen to win the lottery, it's not necessarily like this huge, you're going to be rich and set for the rest of your life event. Yeah. So I don't know. Like, what do you guys think? I think that last last statement is is key. Like uh, our business has grown steadily, but not like exponentially, right? So if you're sitting on a rocket ship, I think yeah, you could probably have one of those acquisition events where you're set for the rest of your life because they're, you know, they're buying based on the future value of the company, right? They're not just based on what you've done so far. They're based on what they think you could do with them, combined with you, right? So. If you can, if you have had this like exponential growth event, or if you can show that happening with th their added resources to yours, then you could probably pull that off. But but in our case, that wasn't really uh, the scenario, right? We we were growing steadily. The acquirers were interested in us because they knew that it was a you know a reasonable business that could continue to grow but not that it was expecting like this phenomenal growth so yeah so in our case those those numbers weren't like uh going to be crazy high numbers but they were still nice numbers you know i feel like this is kind of a theme in our podcast in that um like the way that most people probably think about acquisitions is focused on the uh, sort of VC model of startups and fundings and acquisitions. And in a lot of our episodes, we're like, okay, this is the VC way of doing things, but that's not like the way for everybody. The, the, the sort of VC acquisition model that everybody has in their head is, okay, you start this company, your company has a ton of growth and it target some um, some market that is adjacent to a big, big company. And that big, big company doesn't have their eye on this sort of little market. Um, maybe they don't realize how much opportunity is there. But then this little plucky startup comes and exploits that, gets crazy growth. And now you have this little company who is kind of edging in on the territory of a bigger company. And so the big company buys the little company in order to um, get access to that market. I mean, that, I think that's probably 
the more the, the the most common approach. I mean, sometimes there are uh, sometimes people buy the bigger company buys you because you've developed some crazy like new technology that they couldn't develop on their own. I think those are the two situations in which you have this like really big possible like monetary outcome. I mean, just listening to those stories, like that's kind of that you kind of see that, well, in order to do that, you have to have this, this crazy amount of growth to the point where a, you know, big, big company with, you know, this worth a billion dollars or more. Um, actually when I, I was sort of getting to know about investing, I learned that like a company worth a billion dollars is a relatively small company for like a, a public company. So you have to to get the attention of one of these sort of bigger companies and you're not really going to do that unless you're you have a lot of growth or you have a whole bunch of customers that they really want access to or they, you know you've got to have something that they they want and yeah we're just not really on that train right yeah, not at, not at that scale i think one thing to keep in mind is you know the 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 motivation for an acquirer is to like you said bring in some new technology or bring in this innovative team or have access to a market that you have found a way to have access to and backing up from that why do they care about these things uh because they want to increase their own revenue right they want to move the needle on their own business right so if you're talking to a hundred billion dollar company and you know your revenues are in the 10 million dollar range Right. Well, okay, that's interesting, but uh, that's not really going to move the needle for that hundred billion dollar company, right? So they're looking for much bigger things. So, unless unless they can like leverage something that you have to make a lot more money than you're currently right. making, right? Because right? I I don't think Microsoft really cares about um, how much money GitHub right. is bringing in. Like, I mean, I'm sure they they do to some degree, but that's not why micro Microsoft bought GitHub because they, they want to own open source yeah. right yeah they mm -hmm. want access to that market right those, those developers who are mm -hmm. have a good goodwill feeling towards uh github yeah so in our case we don't have this uh, huge market that we've tapped into we have a, a respectable size market uh and we don't have this rocket ship growth uh so we're not going to be having necessarily microsoft come knocking on the door saying hey we want to throw you know hundreds of millions of dollars in your lap Speaking of GitHub, GitHub has made a number of acquisitions recently, um, all seeming to relate to like uh, GitHub related tools that have been the people had built to do like specific things that GitHub didn't do. And it, yeah, I've, I've noticed that. Who have they bought? Uh, they bought Dependabot, which is a uh, automated dependency um, service. So like if you've got like outdated uh, NPM, like, you know, if your if your node packages are outdated or something in your project, it'll monitor that. And then it'll actually like send pull requests to update your dependencies. Um, we use it Honey Badger and it's pretty cool. So they, they pulled that in and they already actually like uh, rolled that into GitHub. So GitHub is now doing that um, as a feature of the core platform. And then the other one, uh, it was pull reminders? Is that? Yeah, it started yeah. just as pull reminders, but they've actually added a few more things. So now I think it's called pull panda. Yeah, and so they did the same thing recently. They just announced that they were being acquired by GitHub. Um, but it seems like GitHub's doing a round of consolidation for some of those features, and instead of building, they're they're just uh, bringing those apps in. How much money do you think they would pay for something like that? Whatever it took the founders to join the guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because uh, in that case, like for, for Pool Panda, that was a very small team, right? They're probably a similar size to us, 
right? So probably, uh, you know, the two factors that happen a lot in these kind of smaller acquisitions is like what, I guess it's sometimes called an aqua hire, where if, if they're pre-revenue or the revenue is very small, they say, okay, well, you know, there's no real valuation based on how much money you're bringing in because that's not going to make a difference to the acquiring company. But we want your team badly enough that we're willing to pay a premium over market rates for hiring you. So basically, it's a super yeah. big, you know, hiring bonus, right? An aqua hire. And uh, yeah. as, as you add more revenue, though, and I have no idea where Pool Panda is on revenue, but as you get into the millions of revenue or, or maybe even hundreds of thousands, right, that's, that's worth something to a certain size of acquirer, right? And so they will then the money is probably based on the uh, the multiple of the revenue more than getting a team. Maybe it's a combination of the two. Because if GitHub really wanted to add um, dependency checking, like, like they could just build that themselves yeah. um, and release it for free. And then that would make Dependabot just completely Which go out of business. Which they did with um, Gymnasium, because, right? So GitHub built the, the security thing uh, a while back, a couple of years ago, and basically took the rug out yeah. from, off from under Gymnasium, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they must have done some sort of calculation where it's just like, you know, hiring these people um, is worth something to to us and sort of bringing in this existing code base is yep. just worth it yeah. to have it. It's sort of almost like a, a, a convenience thing. Well, you've got to build up a, like an internal team. If you're going to build that feature, you know, you're going to like create an internal team and have them go and, you know, they're going to explore that domain and build it. And if you can just hire someone that's already done that and pull it in and they basically become that team moving forward like i mean that yeah, it saves time you know it's it's not that they couldn't do it the other way but it's just more con- yeah like you said convenient it's, it sort of illustrates like the two different scales of acquisitions you have the scale scale of acquisition where it's like microsoft buys github for a while like a billion dollars yeah. or something and then you know all these smaller players are getting bought out for i would be surprised if it's over 10 million dollars like probably a couple million yeah. dollars. like most aqua hires are like a, like a million well, dollar like, yeah, million dollars the, ahead the multiples or multiples are lower on aqua hires right i mean with aqua hires it doesn't even necessarily right. have to be a multiple yeah. i don't think right so when we talk about multiples let's explain this um are we, we're talking about multiples of yeah. revenue right uh so that's uh that seems to be a pretty normal way of uh thinking about value for tech companies that are being sold and it's a little different than if you were like buying a dry cleaners, right? If you're buying like a dry cleaners or some very um, stodgy business, uh, probably what you would do is you'd go through the books very carefully, you'd figure out how much profit they're making, um, and then you'd buy it based on some sort of multiple on profit. But with tech companies, it's also, it's, it's often pretty normal to buy based off of a, a multiple of revenue. The multiple that you're gonna get paid is gonna depend on why the person is, why they're buying you, right? Like, so if, if they're buying you um, for the cash flow that your company generates, then they're going to pay a certain amount. If they're buying you based on the fact that, well, they think that they can make, they can take your business and make it like a hundred times bigger, then you're going to get a much higher multiple. So what would be like a, what's like on the low end of like. So a starting point that often comes up in, uh, in our world is uh, 36 times that monthly revenue. Right, the, or the the free the free cash flow, I guess. Not take out the whatever the founder is being paid, because presumably, uh, assuming someone takes over the whole business, that founder goes away happily into the sunset with their cash. Right, so you can back that yeah. money out. But basically, it's it's you, the starting point to talks is typically around thirty six times that monthly number. Okay, so three times yearly revenue. 
And that's like low, that's low end, right? That's Yeah, there are a bunch of factors. Um, you know, like, again, the growth like and so on. was probably paid much more than that. Oh, so there, there are, you know, like, like I said, there are other factors like growth and, you know, market size and so on. But, but yeah, that's... I feel like lately I've heard people say that that's pretty low though. Like for, if you're going to go sell your company, like don't sell it for 3x. Um, yeah. Unless, you know, I mean, yeah. do the... That's just if you yeah, really want to yeah. sell like, it. Like you want out... If you, you want need out to sell or it. something, sell it for three X. But like, yeah, yeah, I've heard some people recently talking about five X is a more reasonable starting point. But I think even before you get to the point of like, well, how much am I willing to take? And you think about, am I willing to sell at all? You know, you mentioned Star that we had some a couple of opportunities, and I remember the first one we talked about quite a bit when we had that first uh, offer because that was new to us, right? Like, oh, that's really interesting. Let's spend some time and really thinking about this. And we, yeah, it's kind of flattering. Yeah, it is. It definitely feels. It's like, oh, they they like us. Yeah, totally. <laughs> they really like yeah. us. Wow, we're real. We're doing it. I remember we spent a lot of time talking about it amongst the three of us. Like, oh, is this something that we really want to pursue? And you know, we met with them, and uh, it was great. And uh, but what really came down to was as I recall anyway, you can correct me if I'm remembering this incorrectly, but was like, we just, we, we hadn't been at it long enough. And we felt like we wanted to see if we could do it. Like if we wanted to see if we could make this uh, successful business and uh, we weren't quite willing to uh, exit that way yet. Well, and, and the terms like, like it was, it was closer, a little bit closer. It was kind of between an aqua hire and like, I guess, hiring yeah. for the business, but it wouldn't have been like walk away, a walk away acquisition, yeah, let's, right? Let's talk about yeah. this. Let's talk about this because um, this is another sort of thing people think about is you sell the company and you just kind of leave, right? Yeah, that doesn't happen usually. I think it's pretty rare to sell a company and they just hand you a pile of cash and then you turn over the keys and you leave. Instead, like there's, there's usually terms, right? Because they want to make sure that they're getting something that's actually valuable. They're, they want to make sure that the business doesn't fail when you leave like immediately. And so like, what are some normal terms for, for acquisitions for tech companies like ours? That's pretty standard to have the uh, founder or founders be around for two years after an acquisition. And uh, so a lot of the compensation that comes is tied to that two-year threshold. So yes, once you've invested all of your a time at, at two years, then you get, you know, whatever the, you know, part of it. So you get some percentage up front and then some percentage later when you complete that term. I've seen that as short as three months, six months, but uh, typically it's two years. I don't know. I, I've always been like anxious about the thought of working somewhere for two years after selling the company, because you really have to trust that everybody is working in good faith everybody is really sort of above board because i don't know i'm just thinking like of all the things people could try and do in two years to get you to quit <laughs> which it's like i people you know it's like okay i gotta be more trusting but that's where my mind goes right because i'm like the engineer i gotta think of the case where everything breaks uh, well yeah totally and well that's why you know we say the 5x the 3x that's the starting point right because there are all these factors like okay so what is the vesting schedule for this right if you want me to be around for two years or four years well then you got to pay me more you got to mm -hmm. promise more than if i just had all this cash in hand 100 percent up front today right and i could walk away tomorrow yeah and so those are those are terms that affect that what that price looks like 
Yeah. And for a business like ours, I feel like, um, I feel like we, if we ever do sell, like we have to price in just the annoyance of having to go back to work for somebody else. Totally. Because yeah. if you sell your business to somebody and then you stay for two years, like you're an employee. Yeah. I, my life is a lot more nice as a business owner than as an employee, like just, you know, the, the little things, right? And I'm not saying it's, it's terrible. It would be terrible to be an employee, but it would be pretty jarring. I feel like even like it would be one thing if, okay, um, the Sunny Badger thing isn't working out. I got to go back and get like a job. Okay. That's fine. But it's like then to be in your own company and be an employee and sort of have to be like, yes, sir. Right away, sir. That, <laughs> that just feels weird to me. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've talked to people who have uh, gone through this process and who have uh, stayed through their entire vesting schedule and by and large, the, the advice that I got back was like, just get the right acquirer. Because <laughs> like, if you get the right person who's going to buy your business, then you'll be happy to work with them for that time. Yeah. And, you know, you may not want to stick around, you know, one day past that, that cliff, that vesting schedule. But uh, if you find the right acquirer who has the right vision that lines up with what you've been doing, then it'll be, it'll be an enjoyable time, even if you aren't the boss anymore. Yeah, that's that's fair. And that's a, a strike against a lot of, I think, probably cash flow buyers, maybe, um, because if you're hired by like if you get acquired by um, a big company and they really want you to uh, sort of do some exciting work for them and I, I don't know, like do this big strategic thing like that's one thing. But if you get acquired by somebody and they're like, all right, we got to cut costs now and raise prices and um increase in efficiency of everybody across the board. Like that's going to be a whole different experience. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And so you'd want to have more cash up front in that case. <laughs> you probably <laughs> want to negotiate a, a departure time of like one month. <laughs> like, oh, you want to cut costs? Well, then you don't have to pay my salary anymore. I'll just, uh, I'll just take my money and run. I don't know. My wife's company just got acquired. She works for Tableau. They just got acquired by um, Salesforce for like $15 billion. <laughs> Not too shabby. Yeah, it is. Yeah, so I'd, I'd take I that know. deal it's for so... Honey Badger. <laughs> Josh, would you sell for fifteen billion dollars? Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd sell. I'd sell for three billion, even. <laughs> you know, a billion each is pretty good. Still, that's yeah, pretty good split. I like yeah. that. You know, even there, like Tableau is not a distressed asset. Tableau is was growing like crazy. Um, they were bought by Salesforce for um, explicitly strategic reasons because Salesforce is trying to, I guess, compete in, with GitHub and the analytics sort of business analytics market. So, I mean, Tableau is going to be fine, but even just seeing like the amount of uh, uncertainty and stress that sort of brings on to the employees is just, I don't know. It's a lot. It's, it's like there's, there's a lot of attention given to um, the monetary aspects of an acquisition, but the, the sort of human aspects are something that people don't really think about that much. Like, didn't you say, Josh, one time that there was, there, actually, I read this too. There was a book by uh, one of the, the uh, Tropical MBA guys called... Before the Exit. Yeah. Before the Exit. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Yeah. And it's basically kind of, uh, it's a really interesting book because it's like, okay, you know, everybody thinks that you should be leading up to an exit and an exit can be fine. Um, selling your company can be fine, but it's not, you know, a hundred percent beautiful, fun times all the way. So yeah. here's like, here's reasons maybe you should reconsider selling your company. 
And it goes through a lot of the things we've sort of talked about here, plus, you know, a bunch more because it's an actual book. Yeah, sort of. And, and I think it, it focuses a lot on this sort of transition, sort of seeing this thing you've built become sort of like seeing your baby yeah. become somebody else's baby. It's kind of like a grieving process that they said that most founders will go through if they they sell the thing that they built and and loved and all that. Like, um, and and then you're not you're not guaranteed to be happy after after the sell the sale either. So it, it depends on a lot of factors. So even if even if you get that that you know high number that you're looking for, you're not necessarily going to be happy because then you just have a bunch of cash, but you don't have you know cash is a lot different than having an actual cash generating business. Um, you still have to find something to yeah. A lot of people look to their businesses to you know for purpose and for connection to people. And I can imagine having that just kind of taken away from you would be difficult. Yeah. Yeah, and we were at MicroConf, and uh, there was a presentation about how entrepreneurs look at their businesses, how they how they feel about their their businesses, and there was like the study. They sat down these entrepreneurs, and they gave them pictures of things like you know a car uh, or a boat or whatever to uh, measure their emotional response. And when they showed them a picture of their company's logo it had the same kind of response in their brain as when they looked at pictures of their own children. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah. So like, cause they had these probes on their brain and stuff. And so they measured like the brain activity and like, you know, the car would be like, whatever. And the, you know, the plane, whatever. But when they saw a picture of their baby or they saw a picture <laughs> of their business, it was basically the same as their baby. <laughs> I mean, it fits like my daughter's basically a little like honey badger. She's like, she's just like, jumps off of everything and climbs <laughs> on everything and, and oh my god yesterday she literally punched out a window pane and <laughs> wow <laughs> like i brought her nice. in and uh, she really wanted to be outside like playing on all the construction equipment which i let her do for a little while and i brought her in and she was so mad she was like oh and she she hit the door and it's one of those doors that's just sort of like it's a, an old fashion door it's all sort of single pane glass panels and she just like put her fist just straight through it so she's kind of like a little honey badger yeah so i had a i had a friend do that in high school except instead yeah. of punching it he kicked it and instead of it being you know an old-fashioned glass plane it was a security reinforced <laughs> door and so it had all that wire going through the glass Ooh. and so he ended up in the hospital oh my god yeah <laughs> well she's she's like only three so she's got a lot of time to to train and prepare yeah. for before high school i think we can get her there though <laughs> so maybe you know one of the things that you can do to prepare for that acquisition knowing that you might be looking at your business like it's your baby is develop a healthy sense of detachment, right? Like all parents have to go through this transition period like I'm going through right now where their children are gonna leave the nest. They're gonna go on and do their own thing and live their own lives, right? So maybe part of uh, being a, an astute business founder who is looking forward to someday I might want to acquire, uh, sell this business is okay, I have to have a healthy sense of uh, a separation between me and this business. Yeah, or, or maybe, you just have a ton of businesses and then you spread your emotional uh, whatever, you know, across them. So, 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 you know. so you're saying that, that people who have like eight kids don't mind as much when one of them leaves? Like, <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So you just have a, you know, a ton I, of businesses. I can't, I can't get behind this. Like, I don't want to become a cold, emotionless ca capitalist like you guys. You want you want to have like your the honey badger can be like the our only child and <laughs> I mean don't you don't you guys think that honey badger needs a friend 
think I think Cunning Badgering's little sister need to bring a new <laughs> bundle of joy to the world. Yeah. Oh man. Um. I one thing I was I've been thinking about is just like the the distressed asset thing, and also um, we talked about how like money like revenue like if if say like GitHub acquiring a a small like bootstrap like our size or you know some somewhere around our size uh say like dependabot or something um do they actually care about revenue like because we kind of with one of our um talks we ran into a weird situation where it was like we're a profitable company you know we're small but profitable and we have revenue we have customers they weren't they didn't seem very interested in in that aspect of the business and um so i i just wonder like like how much do they actually care like a company that size how much does it actually care about the revenue versus like just like we said the convenience factor of like you have something that would make our lives easier we have a, a ton of money like we don't we don't care about your you know relatively small annual revenues I would guess they probably don't care that much. Um, probably a lot of these companies that get acquired don't have much revenue to begin with. Yeah, it's just it's, it seems to be just like anything else. It's like companies are bought for a reason, right? Just like anything else you buy, you buy it to do something. You buy it for a reason, and maybe that reason involves um, adding a cash flow asset to your to your um, portfolio. Maybe that reason involves um, hiring some cool people, and um, you know it's a reasonable price you're willing to pay. So I don't know. Like I can't imagine GitHub really cared that much about Dependabot's revenue. Yeah. Um, they probably cared more about maybe its user base, maybe it's uh, the fact that they had a product already working. Yeah, I I agree. I think it's interesting in the GitHub case if you compare the Dependabot and the Pool Pandas acquisitions, especially considering their the rapidity in succession, to Gymnasium and what happened there. Because uh, you know I remember sitting. I think it was GitHub Universe where they they announced uh, their feature that basically tanked Gymnasium's business, and uh, there was some ill will there for sure. I don't know if they really suffered GitHub if GitHub suffered much as a result. But I mean, there were people who were like, "Oh, that's kind of stinky," you know. Um, I mean, Apple does this all the time, right? It's they, there's a phrase for it. It's called being Sherlocked because uh, Apple built Spotlight into the operating system and then completely eliminated the need for Sherlock, which was a, a for sale add-on that did basically the same thing. So in mm -hmm. the Apple world, they're used to this. Like Apple does this periodically. They release features that then kill one of the you know uh, providers in the marketplace. But in the open source, source world and uh, developer world, this hadn't happened a whole lot. And so when basically GitHub's Sherlock to Gymnasium, there was a little bit of like, well, that's not so nice. And so I wonder if uh, some of the motivation behind the acquisition for Dependabot and uh, Pool Pandas was goodwill. Like, you know, I think Microsoft is doing, going above and beyond trying to make sure that people don't feel like Microsoft is coming in here and ruining the party, right? That Microsoft mm -hmm. is, is playing nice. And I wonder if That's some of that point. acquisition is is also like, we want this feature. GitHub's like, we want to build that. We want to have that dependabot feature. We want to have that pull reminder feature, but let's be nice or and let's uh, acquire those teams that are building yeah. that and integrate it rather than just doing it ourselves. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, and, and also they just happen to have a, a ton more money to do it now with. So it's like, well, why yeah. not? Like, yeah. Totally. If you can get the goodwill and it's really not that much. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. It seems like the key to 
I don't know, like if you have a company that, and you're thinking about getting acquired or somebody's interested in acquiring you, like the, the key thing you have to figure out is like, why? Like what, I mean, it could be several reasons. It could be, they want your IT, they want, you know, to have goodwill with the developer community, whatever. But yeah, it seems like you have to really figure that out so you can, you know, figure out what they're willing to pay so you can negotiate with them because yeah, if you think that they're looking for some sort of strategic thing and really they just want an aqua hire, yeah. well, that's, that's, you're just going to waste everybody's time because you're going to be thinking about two different prices. Yeah. yeah. And I get, I yeah. get the, I've, I've had the feeling at least dealing with some of our, from our experiences and also just hearing some experiences from other people. Like, I feel like some of these companies kind of like that do a lot of this type of either aqua hiring or like buying distressed assets or that sort of thing. Like they kind of look at it like, like the teams really want to sell, like they're looking for an out or something. Um, at least I've I've had that feeling before. It's like they're not expecting you to like be in this for the long haul or or to have like, you know, a profitable business that you're happy with and you're, you know, I don't does that make sense? Well, yeah, it's that brings up the concept of a batna, right? What's your best alternative negotiated agreement? Yeah. Right? If if you have a successful business that's making a bunch of revenue and you're happy running it, well then your your best alternative is keep running the business. Like right. you're happy. But if you're if your best alternative is, well, I've got to go file for unemployment because I'm about to go under, right? Well then and, yeah. you're in a kind of weaker position. In and, which case, like yeah. getting a job at like Microsoft is a pretty good or wherever you know, right. usually these acquiring companies, like getting a job there. I mean, that's, that's a good job, um, too. Yeah. But, um, yeah, at least for me personally, like I wouldn't be looking for a job there in the first place. So that's not, <laughs> that's not a, like a pro to me. Like, like we, like honey badger is in kind of a weird spot. Like, um, companies in our spot, I feel like, I mean, we're not trying to get acquired, but I feel like companies in our spot have a harder time getting acquired or it just doesn't happen as much because, right, our revenue is too high for some sort of individual investor to just be like, hey, you know, unless they're rich, uh, to just buy us and run us. You know, like some people, they they start a web application. It makes, um, I don't know, $30,000 a year. So you can sell that for 50,000 bucks or whatever to somebody and they'll run it for you or they'll, they'll run it for themselves. Um, you know, we, we our, our revenue is too high for that. Um, but our revenue isn't really high enough to, and we're not like on this rocket ship trajectory where some company is gonna buy us to, uh, like some bigger company is gonna buy us um, at a, a, a larger multiple, just because like, eh, it's, it doesn't really move their bottom line that much, yeah. you know? So, yeah, so it's, it's not to say that nobody's interested in companies like this but it's just kind of like it's this whole this whole topic is just really a little bit more complex than you might think just going into it well i I mean we're we're making it kind of difficult for them by being so awesome and content so i mean like (laughs) yeah if we were if we were desperate it'd be easier yeah (laughs) yeah they could play on our uh on our um insecurities more but in any case, like, I think like, um, like going through these talks with people has, has, has like resulted in, in us, um, thinking about how, like back to the, like run the business, like you're going to sell it someday. Like it has like made us think more about that. And, uh, and it's yeah. resulted in some positive changes, um, just, just for us, like 
it's nice to own a business that is more automated and and runs runs itself better because like it gives yeah it's it's just healthier i mean you're the owner so it's healthier for you just as it would be healthier like that's why someone wants it to be that way when they buy it because they don't want something that they're stuck to so like why would we want that it's kind of both um really annoying and also somewhat useful in that uh like when you're in acquisition talks everything stops right everything just like oh, like gosh. you're not really doing yeah. work because you're just thinking about the stuff that's the worst part you're trying to figure it out and yeah yeah and so for a week or two or whatever you're just kind of like in this weird limbo uh which really sucks but then also it's like everybody is kind of thinking about the big picture things and everybody's thinking about what they want and so i you do kind of come out of it with a little bit more clarity mm -hmm. you know in terms of like what you know what what are things worth to you like what's the company worth to you yeah. like, what's your time worth to you um if i had to go and work for somebody like what like how much is it going to take me to do that like yeah. is there any amount like or or what happens after you know after you go and work for someone and then you you know you're not going to stay there forever like are you starting from ground zero after that like sure you have some cash in your pocket and you can you can still start but starting is still hard and uh if you're not if you're not just like if it's not enough to just you know they're basically like you don't have to you don't have to go get a job or start something else that's one thing but if it's not quite enough and you you still have to like you know fill in some income in the future then i think it's yeah it's something to really think about like do i actually want to start from from zero and because yeah I, I i don't know about you guys i forget how hard it was to get this thing to where it is now <laughs> and uh yeah, that's a good another five five plus years at least of of pretty uh you know hard work and and that's if it actually goes. Yeah, that's that's the back to how your business is like a baby thing, right? Yeah. You forget the early days, how hard it is, right? In the early days. Yeah, even even if you do have enough money to ride off into the sunset, even if you if you don't have to worry about income, like if you don't have any purpose, like you know, if the business is your purpose in life, you sell it, you and you end up walking away from it, uh, then what? Right. You got to think about that. Like, oh, that's, that, yeah, that could be, that could be pretty disruptive to your life. All right. So what we're trying to, trying to say is we've sold the business. <laughs> <laughs> Announcing. <laughs> we're, we're shutting down tomorrow. We're joining Microsoft. <laughs> Peace. It's been a great journey. <laughs> gonna, yeah. I will say, um, if, yeah. if you are, if you have a business and you are in that position, if someone's interested, uh, go read that book before the exit. Um, because, uh, we did that last time and it, it really was a good, it really got me thinking about a lot of things that I think that you don't want to like for you want to think about before you actually decide if it's if it's for you or, or if it's not yeah that was a good book yeah yeah and selling your company doesn't mean you've won um just like selling your car doesn't mean you've won you can get a really <laughs> bad deal if you sell your company uh without really considering it like things can work out badly um you know or things can work out goodly it just mm -hmm. you know it, it just depends on on doing it right but it's those feelings like it's it's totally natural to have those sort of like giddy feelings like oh my god it's, this is finally happening like the world is going to see like what a genius i actually am they're going to love me for my true self yeah and there's the ego side of that for sure yeah yeah he's kind of I, I think you just have to kind of wait that out just give it a little time to tamp down yeah. a little bit because it's not going to be like anybody who's feeding that anybody who's trying to get you to feel that 
is trying to do that so that they will get the upper hand over you in a negotiation. Yeah, for sure. Right? <laughs> uh yeah any sort of like this whole congratulatory rhetoric like that's that's all bullshit to get you to sell for less money yeah. you, so you gotta just step back be a hard ass and um or sometimes the boring path is the better you know the path best chosen yeah, yeah. that's true <laughs> but if you do sell your company please don't write the blog post about how it was a wonderful journey like <laughs> Just say, hey, we're taking the money and we're running. Just title the title <laughs> peace or TLDR peace. <laughs> right. Peace out screw you guys. <laughs> um, we there's no data export. <laughs> you can't export your data. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. ThunderQuest is a weekly podcast by the founders of Honey Badger. Zero instrumentation, 360-degree coverage of errors, outages, and service degradations for your web apps. If you have a web app, you need it. Available at honeybadger.io. Want more from the founders? Go to founderquestpodcast.com. That's one word. You can access our huge back catalog or sign up for our newsletter to get exclusive VIP content. FounderQuest is available on iTunes, Spotify, and other purveyors of fine podcasts. We'll see you next week. <laughs>